And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing to be uh, looking at the, the Word together, looking at the Scriptures, and uh, digging into uh, this incredible story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, what we're going to do today, we're in the middle of a series called Stand Out, uh, looking at the book of First Peter. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're just going to look at Peter's part, or, or a piece of Peter's part in the resurrection story, and look at, uh, at, at where he fits into it. So it's not really a part of the series, but in, in it's background for the series, really. But before we uh, dig into that, I want to just, uh, just a, a brief, brief second uh, to just look at a couple of apologetics things. Uh, when, when the resurrection uh, comes around as a, as a subject for discussion, uh, it's always worth just sort of talking about why we believe this crazy story. Why do we believe this crazy story that a man who lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world uh, rose from the dead and, and changed the world in doing so? What do, we, what do we believe about that? And so there's, there's a whole pile of reasons why we believe that, of course, but um, I've just listed five of them here. The first one is uh, we believe in the resurrection because of the empty tomb. Uh, it was really, really clear around then, and we see it in historical record from a number of different perspectives, that a lot of people didn't want to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. No, a lot of people didn't want Christianity to start. They didn't want this radical group of people to have place in Jewish society, and the Romans didn't really want it either. Um, and what they could have done is they could have made it look like it didn't happen. But the tomb was still empty. The tomb was still empty. They never found the body. If somebody produces the body, Christianity completely falls apart. But, but nobody found the body because uh, he rose from the grave. And the second um, piece that, that makes that understandable is the quantity of the witnesses. There were so many people in and around uh, the time who saw Jesus having risen, and they saw him out and about and around and interacting with people. And if you look at the the books, the letters of Paul, he's always saying, hey, go and talk to so-and-so. He was there. Go and talk to this person who saw Jesus. And so there was really a body of people who scattered all throughout uh, the Roman world within the first generation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who saw him alive and walking and talking afterwards. And, and the writers in the New Testament were saying, hey, just go verify this with this person. Uh, his grandpa saw, saw it. So-and-so's dad knew uh, Jesus. And so there was this, uh, there's this body of live witnesses was the, that was around at the time. There's an incredible book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses that just tracks all of this and where these people were all over the Roman world. Incredible uh, scholarly work, incredible evidence. Uh, the second piece is the quality of the witnesses. Some of these witnesses were amazing people. Apostle Paul is just one example. Paul had no reason to leave his career and switch over to Christianity. Like, it's a bad career move for Paul. A terrible career move for him. He was absolutely at the top of his game in somebody who was persecuting Christianity. And he had a radical experience with Jesus. And his life was utterly transformed. That there are witnesses from around the time. And we have their stories of lives who were absolutely changed radical direction in short order. Uh, an incredible piece of evidence. Uh, the fifth thing is the tenacity of the disciples. I mean, the disciples uh, didn't weren't receiving an upgrade in life either. Uh, these disciples who believed this uh, were hung upside down on crosses and beaten and shipwrecked and killed and flogged and 
everything else. They had every terrible thing happen to them. Uh, uh, crucified upside down. Uh, it's just, just miserable stories. Why did they go through that? Why did they endure that suffering if what they'd witnessed was a lie? It was not to their benefit to believe this story and share it. And so that adds uh, weight to their story. And second is just the radical growth of Christianity in the time. Uh, this radically transformed so many lives in that time and space. Uh, people were so changed, and, and it just was an exponential growth that, that went on. And, and what's, what's really unique about the growth of Christianity compared to the growth of other world religions is it happened cross-culturally. Uh, it happened not just uh, with uh, Jewish people, but it crossed over and happened with Gentile people, and not just uh, culturally Palestinian Jewish people, but uh, Roman people and Northern European people and African people and Asian people and Indian people and uh, people from all around the world. Christianity spread cross-culturally and relationally. It didn't spread cross-culturally, militarily, as Islam did. It, it, it spread cross-culturally, relationally in an incredibly powerful way. So I just want to say that this story, if you're asking and if you're debating, is Christianity real? Is it true? Can I believe this story? There is substance and weight to the story. I just want to add that. Um, before we uh, go, uh, let's just, uh, let's just uh, say a prayer, and, uh, and then we'll get into our text for the morning. Lord, I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about you. You're so good. You're such a good God. You, you did an incredible thing, Father, in, in conquering death. And you've done an incredible thing in my life, making me alive again. You've breathed in me, and I'm so thankful, Father. And we are so thankful as a church that you breathe in us, that you live in us, that we have friendship with you and interaction with you, that your word is not just historical, but it's living and present to us, that you transform us and you raise us up through it. Uh, it's so amazing, God. We're so, so thankful. We're so, so thankful, God. We love you. As we engage in this story, Father, transform our hearts, grow us, renew us, restore us. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. Yes, Lord. So again, Easter is this time when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the God who came to earth and was born on earth and, and lived on earth and was living a perfect life and did miracles and touched people's hearts and did incredible things. Uh, he was ultimately uh, seen as a threat to the religious establishment and the political establishment and ultimately killed uh, for who he was and rose from the grave. And in that, we, of course, receive hope as Christians. We receive hope of resurrection. Uh, and so when we think of Resurrection Sunday, we think, of course, of a hope that's a long-term hope for ourselves. We think of a hope that is a hope that is something that uh, goes out beyond our present, a hope that when we die, we will be raised again to life. Uh, we believe in a resurrected body, that these bodies that we have that will die and go into the ground will ultimately be reassembled and put back together uh, to live forever with God on his new earth, reigning with him. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to the upgrade. Uh, that's for sure. I'm, I am seriously looking forward to the upgrade. That is going to be a really good thing. I'm going to be able to run really fast. 
I'm going to be able to run really fast. It's going to be uh, fantastic. It's going to be a huge jump. It's like going from Blackberry to Apple. It's, uh, it's mm, oh, dirty. <laughs> it's a huge, huge upgrade. It's a big deal. <laughs> but, uh, but it's good. But not only is, is resurrection about a, a future upgrade and a future uh, restoration, it's about present restoration. It's about restoration that happens in our lives now. It's about restoration that's happening now. We need to be restored in so many ways. There are all kinds of reasons and all kinds of seasons in our lives where we need restoration and transformation. Uh, sometimes it's just when we've become tired in life. Sometimes it's just when we become weary of busyness and weary of doing uh, the things that, uh, that we do all of the time. Uh, sometimes it's when we've become disappointed with life, when we've had vision for what we're to be and who we're to be, that that vision is unfulfilled or a relationship is unfulfilled or, or something doesn't happen that we want to happen. And we need our hope restored in those moments. Uh, sometimes we just suffer defeat as people. Uh, the things just don't go our way. We, we deal with sickness and stress and all of these things. And we need to be restored when we suffer defeat. Sometimes it's when we sin. Sometimes it's when we knowingly uh, do something that we're not called to do or that we know we're not to do. We, we knowingly displease God and, and hurt other human beings. Uh, and when we do that, we, we need to be restored. It's sometimes we've experienced grief and pain. We've lost someone we love. Uh, we've drifted off course uh, and, and drifted away from a ministry calling that we might have. We've gotten caught up in our careers and the stuff of life. Whatever it is, we get distracted and we lose track of God and who he is in our lives, and, and sometimes we just experience failure. We just fail to do a good job and, and do well. We experience failure in our marriages. We experience failure in our careers. Uh, life just happens. Uh, we all need to be restored, every single one of us, unless, unless there's somebody here who is absolutely satisfied and delighted with every aspect of your life perfectly, there's maybe room for God to work in you as there is for God to work in me. Just a little, just, just, just a tweak, just a tweak. I, I, I know I could use more than a tweak. And if you're like me, you could use more than a tweak. Uh, so we need to be restored. So how does it work? Well, how did it work for Peter? Peter's this great writer that we've looked at uh, in, in First Peter. And how did he get to the point of being the leader that he was at that time in space? How did he get there? He didn't always have an easy ride. Uh, in and around the time of the resurrection of Jesus, he had a really rocky ride. And I just want to just dig into his story a little bit. Let's read this text together. Uh, this is from the book of John, uh, chapter 21, uh, verses uh, 1 through 19. It's a little bit longer than we might normally do, but it's a, it's a great story. So just follow along on the screen there. Uh, if you've got an app you're looking at, you could do that as well. Uh, but uh, let's just read this story together. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat. But that night, they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. It's very encouraging. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So to set the scene for this, uh, remember what had happened. Remember where Peter was at at this stage uh, in his life, where, where he was at. Uh, remember, uh, Jesus had just been crucified. I remember just a, a little, little bit of time before that uh, was the triumphal entry. Just last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, where everybody recognized who Jesus was. They thought, this is the king, this is the Messiah. This is the guy who is going to take out the Romans. He's going to drive them out of our land. Uh, he's going to marshal our armies. He's going to become the king. He's going to drive out the king we don't like. He's going to be the king that we do like. It's going to be fantastic. And sort of riding on the wave of that popularity, they come into town. And they prepare to celebrate the Passover. And they're gathered around the table, Jewish men uh, uh, gathered there to, to be enjoying their friendship. They probably had uh, spouses and, and everybody else around gathered with them. And, and they were celebrating, they were excited. And Jesus, in this moment of celebration, of course, takes the bread and the wine. And he says, Hey, this is my body, which is broken for you. This uh, cup is the new covenant in my blood. And all of a sudden, he's speaking in a different tone. And he begins to relate to them uh, what an incredible experience he's about to happen. He, he's about to, he's saying, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be flogged. I, I'm going to be taken down. 
And this, this doesn't fit with them. And, and in the middle of this conversation, in the middle of Jesus laying this out, and this is really extensively recorded in the book of John from chapter 13 in the book of John all the way to this spot in chapter 21, or, or all the way up through the crucifixion scene. It's several chapters of, of Jesus teaching them and preparing them for what's about to happen. And somewhere in the middle of this, Peter says, Lord, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, Lord. And, and Jesus says to, to Peter, before the, the, the rooster crows two times, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny me. And Peter's like, no, Lord, never, never will it be. Never will it be. And of course, Jesus was right. Uh, when Jesus was arrested, uh, Peter, in his zeal, uh, reached out. He, he grabbed his sword and and hacked at the head of the high priest's servant and missed, I guess, and just took off his ear. Pretty gruesome story. I always think Peter took off, I always, you always read that story and you think Peter took off the high priest's ear. It's like, just hold still, please, while I just do a little, you know, it can't be how it happened. He had to just be taking a swing at the guy's head, right? Right? Nice church leader, Peter. Saint Peter. I believe we call him St. Peter, right? St. Peter. Uh, you know, he takes a hack at this guy's head. He takes off his ear. And, uh, and of course, Jesus rebukes Peter. No, that's not the kind of zeal I'm looking for and, and heals the, the high priest. And from that point, Peter is in the story running from uh, knowledge of Jesus. He's running. Like, he's asked three times, hey, do you know this Nazarene? Do you know this guy? And Peter's like, no, I've never, I've never, I've never met him before. Mm-mm. Keep that on the DL, right? Like, yeah, like, I don't want to. I don't want to know this this guy. I don't want to be associated with him. Peter completely denies Jesus, right? He completely denies him. And at this point in the story, uh, Peter knows that Jesus is alive and back. His Lord's been crucified. He's gone through the pain of thinking, man, this thing is really over. This thing is really done. And, and all of a sudden had the joy of, okay, Jesus is back. This is great. But, but you know what it's like when you've had a moment of discord in relationship with somebody and, and you've denied them or you've hurt somebody or you've uh, spoken ill of your spouse or you've been in a fight and you know uh, with a colleague at work when you've uh, had a disagreement that first time when you're coming back to see that person and relate to them, there's, there's tension hanging in the air, isn't there? That has to be what Jesus was feeling in this moment. Uh, you know, the, the disciples had been gathered in the room and Jesus appeared in the upper room and Thomas did his thing, doubting Thomas. Let me go ahead, Thomas, touch my, my hands. Uh, but Peter was probably sitting in the corner of the room. We don't have any record of Peter saying anything in these moments. We just think Peter was probably sitting in the back, man, oh man. My last encounter with Jesus was him yelling at me for cutting off the high priest's ear. My last encounter with Jesus was, uh, was, was him telling me that I was going to deny him, and I did. I denied him. Peter was struggling with incredible sense of failure, an incredible sense of, of being separated from Jesus, this person that he loved. And so how does this get restored? How does our relationship with God get restored? So Peter uh, is with his friends, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out to fish. I'm going fishing. <laughs> he's going back to what he knows. He's going back to what's comfortable. He's going back to his old career, 
right? Like, I know Jesus is alive now. I, I know that, that the disciples have seen him. I know that this is going to be okay, but, but I, just, I just don't fit here anymore. I, I, I've done a, a bad thing. I, I've disappointed Jesus, and, and I'm disappointed in myself. And he says, I'm going to go fishing. And, and you can imagine he's a little depressed. And the disciples are like, well, we'll, just, we'll come with you. We love you, Peter. We're just going to come and hang with you in the boat. And besides, it's a big boat. What are you going to do out there by yourself, you know? Uh, and so we go, they go out there and they go fishing with him. And it says they got out into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Like, talk about reaching rock bottom. Right? You, you feel like you're out of the camp. You feel like you don't fit. You feel like your marriage is broken. You feel like your career is, is down the tubes. You feel like you've uh, hurt people. You've damaged people. You've wounded them. And you're like, I've, I've lost my opportunity to follow Jesus. I've missed my opportunity to, to do what he's called me to do. I'm just going to go back to my old life. And then you go back to your old life. And think, I'm just going to do something good. I'm just going to try to do it. And with the best of intentions, you fail at that too. Imagine how that feels. And we do that all the time with the best of intentions. We just, you know, I don't have time for the church thing. I don't have time for the God thing. I, I, I just, I'm just going to go do my thing. I, I got to get better. I, I got to improve my life somehow. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm just going to get healthy and strong, and we, and we may, you know, pay our gym membership. I'm going to pay my 12 months in advance. I'm truly committed. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. That's not a good, that's not a good plan for you. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to go to the gym. I shouldn't be speaking ill words over you. Maybe that's a great plan for you. Um, but you go to the gym, and you've gone a few times, and it's fantastic, and all of a sudden you see, as you're driving to the gym someday, you see that guy in the giant styrofoam costume that's shaped like a pizza. And you think to yourself, that guy's probably selling some really good pizza. <laughs> you think, well, I went to the gym uh, couple of times this week, I'm good. I'm, I'm good to go. And all of a sudden, you're stuffing your face with pizza. That's what it's like, you know? We just, we just fall off the bandwagon. We try to do our thing. We try to achieve restoration on our own, and we just fail every time. We just fail every time. We need Jesus. And the story goes on. Early the next morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So when they fished, they would fish at night. They'd go out in the evening and they would fish all night. And that's when they would fish with their nets. Uh, and still in that, in that part of the world, that's still the way they fish today. They fish overnight. That's when the, 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 you catch fish in that, uh, in that lake. Um, and Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, When I'm fishing, do you, have you ever been fishing? Have you ever gotten the drive-by from, uh, from somebody who, you know, when fishermen pass each other on the water in another boat, hey, a fish biting, did you catch anything? You ever been asked that question? I've been asked that question. I have lied. <laughs> it's just confession time. I have lied. I have, oh, yeah. Fisher Biden, I got a couple in the ball. Oh, there was this really big one. He he was on, but uh, you know, you know, I, I, problem bad tackle, bad tackle. Don't buy, you know, Zepco, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. You make an excuse, whatever it is. Uh, you, you don't want to admit that. But if you want restoration in your life, 
the very first place you have to start is with admitting that there's a problem, isn't there? Isn't it? Michael Jordan, and I, and I had a video to show, but we were having problems with audio, and I didn't want to, I took it out of the presentation really quickly before we started. But, you know, Michael Jordan, I don't know if you've seen that old uh, Nike ad, but a, a great Nike ad with Michael Jordan, and he's like, yeah, you know, 26 times I was given the shot to win the championship game, and I missed. 6,000 times or whatever I missed a shot. Because they record stats like crazy in basketball, right? I missed 6,000 shots. He just listed all of his worst possible stats. And I wish I could remember them all. I wish I had that video to show you. And, and then he just says this. He says, and that's why I succeed. You know, the beginning of success, the beginning of turning your life around, the beginning of receiving restoration in your life is dealing with your failure and admitting your failure and admitting your fault and admitting that you need it. So no, they answered. We, 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 we're not going to lie like Pastor Aaron. We didn't catch any fish. We, we didn't catch any fish at all, he said. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. We'll talk about that more in a second. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring, them some, bring some of the fish you just caught. Now, this is an unusual thing. We just read these stories and we just read them and we sort of take them in. But, but now put yourself in Peter's shoes. You've just figured out it's the Lord. You've just figured out it's Jesus on the shore. And you're like, I'm desperate to restore relationship with this guy. I'm desperate to make this right. You throw your cloak on before you jump in the lake, which just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't know why he did that, and I don't have any interpretation on it whatsoever. Uh, if somebody's a better biblical interpreter, you go for it. Let me know. Uh, so he put on his cloak, jumps in the water, comes out of the water soaking wet, and Jesus says this. Uh, he's, Jesus has already got some fish burning there, and he's got some bread or fish burning. He's got burning coals and some fish cooking there. I don't know, was Jesus a good cook? I don't know. I have no idea. Hopefully he was a good cook. He was divine. It sounds great, Jesus. Um, but uh, he's there, and so Jesus has fish there for Peter to eat, and there's bread there for Peter to eat, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, why don't you go get the fish out of the boat? I mean, the dude has just been resurrected. You've seen him three times, uh, you're desperate to have relationship restored with him. And Jesus said, why don't you go help the other disciples finish getting the fish out of the boat? And Jesus goes back into the water and begins dragging the net full of, uh, full of fish into shore. What was that like for Jesus? What was that like? So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net uh, ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Do you, do you know the spiritual significance of that number, 153? 
1 plus 5 plus 3 equals 9, which is God's perfect number. No, wait, take off 2, and that's God. There were 153 fish. <laughs> that's it. There's no significance to that number. Except that, except that somebody counted those fish. And I think it was Peter. We don't know that. We can't see it in the text. But imagine Peter being sort of sent back to haul in the fish, sort of desperate to restore relationship with Jesus, desperate to get some time with him, leave the other disciples behind to get to Jesus. That's sort of the same spirit in which Peter had been operating before when he was arguing around the table of the Last Supper, saying, who gets to sit at your right or your left? Uh, I'm greater than you. And Jesus rebukes him and says, you know, the, the greatest of all will be the servant, right? Uh, this kind of uh, an incredible encounter there. But Peter's rushing past the other disciples, get sent back to the boat. He's, he's sitting there, he's counting the fish. I imagine that being a pretty dark moment for Peter. It'd be a dark moment for me sitting in a pile of 153 fish while the rest of the disciples are chatting it up with Jesus on the shore <laughs> and then making it up. But Jesus is making a point. He, he, he's saying uh, there's something about the restoration of relationship that has to come with humility. It comes with uh, humility, with bringing others along. Remember, in a few moments, we're going to see Jesus restore Peter and call him to feed my sheep. Well, that's the other disciples, isn't it? Instead of trampling over them to get to Jesus, he's restoring Peter ultimately to a place where Peter is going to be the servant of those same disciples. So Jesus is just working this in him. Jesus has got a long-term game uh, that he's working on uh, with Peter. And so there he is out there in the boat counting the fish while the disciples are having a fish fry with Jesus. This doesn't sound fun at all. Now, what was Jesus doing in all of that? Well, this story of the huge catch of fish after a night of catching nothing, it's not the first time it appears in the Gospels. This story also appears in Luke chapter 5. This is the moment at which Peter first realized who Jesus was. Uh, this is Luke chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 1. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus had told them to cast the, the nets out. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter, he saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. This is the first time Peter calls Jesus Lord. This is the first time Peter recognizes uh, who Jesus is. He recognizes that Jesus is God. He recognizes that Jesus is holy. He recognizes the majesty of Jesus. You're so great, Jesus. I can't even be in relationship with you. I don't fit in this thing. You're awesome. You are the Lord. And what Jesus is saying and, and doing with Peter here is he's bringing him back to the beginning. Peter, how did you get from being this guy who was, was just full of an understanding of my lordship to being a guy who would, uh, you know, 
fight with the other apostles about who's the greatest, who would be a guy who would deny me three times, who would still even now push the other disciples out of the boat, jump in the water and forget about all the fish and just come. Uh, Where did you get to be this guy, Peter? How did you get to be this guy? How did this happen to you? How did this happen that you you came to believe that uh, my movement was a movement that would be defended by trying to lop off the servant of the high priest's head? How did you become this guy, Peter? And Peter realizes in that moment sort of how far uh, he's fallen. He realizes uh, how he got into this point. And this is the other thing that Jesus has to do with us as he restores us is he often takes us back he takes us back to maybe for you it's a moment that you had up at summer camp where where you knew that Jesus loved you as a teen you knew that Jesus loved you but now he has such a small place in your life maybe you heard at one time God call you to serve him and you've just let that be overtaken by career and by activities and by success and by whatever it is. Maybe you know deep down in your heart that Jesus loves you and is calling you to, uh, to receive him into your life. And you've never let him come and live in you. You've never let him come and really be your Lord. And you know he wants that and you know it's going to be good, but you're full of fear and, and you've, you've pushed that away. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe your marriage is on the brink of of destruction and and you're full of pain and and you don't know how to relate to your spouse. You don't know how you guys are going to work it out. You don't know how you fit together anymore. And you know you should cry out to Jesus because you know that Jesus does miracles, but you, you hardly have the strength. Maybe that's where you are this morning. And in the middle of that moment of pain, that moment of sitting there in the boat, just doing the stuff, just counting the fish, just doing your life, God brings you back to those moments when you knew that it could be awesome and that it could be great. And you have to reckon as a person with the decisions that you've made that have led you away from Christ or to the decisions that you've held on, that you've held on to to keep Jesus Christ at bay in your life. And you have to reckon with those in those moments. And when you do, that's when the encounter with Jesus comes. That's when the encounter with the love of God comes. Jesus restores Peter in this way. He says, it says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I always debate in my head whether he's talking about the the other disciples or the fish. (laughs) I'm sure he's talking about the disciples. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, "You, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Have you seen Goodwill Hunting? That's, that's, that's a sign of how old I am. 
That's what that is. Um, in, in, this, in this movie, this uh, incredible actor, now, the now late uh, Robin Williams, is an is a experienced counselor, and he's meeting with this uh, genius uh, person, but very broken person, uh, played by Matt Damon. And uh, Matt Damon had suffered horrible abuse in his life. Uh, horrible abuse in his, li- in his life. And, uh, and, and the counselor, Robin Williams, uh, says to him, he says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon says, I, I know, it's not my fault. Yeah, I know, it's not my fault. And Robin Williams repeats back, it, it's not your fault. As he leans in a little bit, and Matt Damon just sort of leans back, I know, I know, it's not my fault. And Robin Williams leans in again and looks in his eyes and says, it's not your fault. I know it's not my fault. I know it's not my fault. It's not your fault. And Matt Damon breaks. He breaks in that moment. And he's weeping. He's come to the realization that there's help outside of himself. I think that's what Jesus was doing with Peter. Can you imagine that? Peter, do you you love me? Of course I love you. No, Peter, do you you love me? Go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's hurt. You know I love you. Lord, you know all these things. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And I just imagine in that moment, Peter just breaking. I imagine him just weeping. Because the restoration of Jesus for Peter, uh, you know, if I was writing the script for this, you know, I I would write Jesus just saying something like, "Do do you love me, Peter? Yeah, I love you. I love you too. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be just the, I just love you so much. Let's just have a hug. <laughs> you know, I don't know, I'd write it terribly. But, but the restoration of Jesus in Peter's life is indistinguishable from a call to ministry and a call to serve and a call to love. In the moment of restoration, Jesus reinvests Peter not just with affection, not just with love, not just with something from the heart, but he invests Peter with the incredible purpose that he started with. He invests Peter with the whole thing. It's not just a gentle rolling, oh, you, you felt you've fallen from grace? Well, we'll just gently restore responsibility to you and bring you along. We'll watch you very carefully and make sure you don't fall back and fail again. We'll have you on a probationary period for a number of months. Uh, you know, that's not the way Jesus' restoration works. Jesus' restoration is wholehearted and awesome and huge and embracing. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus wants for your marriage. That's what Jesus wants uh, for his relationship with you. His embrace of you isn't going to be tentative. It isn't going to be uh, probationary. It isn't going to be loose. It isn't going to be distanced. 
He's going to get in your face and he's going to hug you and he's going to love you and he's going to take you fully into himself and he's going to invest you with his purpose and his glory and his love. Completely and wholly, Jesus will not love you halfway. He will not love you partway. And then he adds this little piece. uh, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter, by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him the thing that he said when he first called him. He just said, now follow me. And all of a sudden, Peter, who was stuck in the boat counting fish, looking at that career choice, was back in business again absolutely restored, absolutely called holy to follow Jesus. Completely. And Jesus brings the whole thing full circle. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants your your whole life. And Peter was pleased to give it. Uh, You know that the call of Jesus and the restoration of Jesus isn't a restoration of our control. It's a restoration of a life of service. It's a restoration of a life of following him. And and what could possibly be better than that? What could possibly be more glorious than that? Let's just stand and pray. Lord, there are marriages that need to be restored in this place. You, O God, can do what no one else can do. Lord, there are relationships with you that have been stalled because of our own fear. You can restore what no one else can restore. Lord, we have gone away from you when you have called us. There is no end to the way that you can restore us. Would you come by the power of your spirit here this morning and call us to a transformation like Peter went through, through, through an admittance of our need and, and all the way through to a crying out to you, a recognition of where we're broken and a calling out to you and us hearing again for the first time maybe or, or, or maybe, maybe again, as we heard it when we were young, uh, your words in our ears. I love you. I have a purpose for you. Would you call us to that purpose? For those here this morning who have debated whether they could possibly uh, follow you or trust you, would you invite them into your presence? Invite them into relationship with you. Just before the kids come in, uh, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer of us inviting Jesus into our hearts. And maybe there's some here who have never prayed a prayer like this, but you know that you need your life uh, and your relationship with Jesus restored. Dear Jesus, I admit that I have failed. 
I admit that I need restoration. I admit that I need relationship with you. I admit that I need forgiveness. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness, Lord Jesus. By the power that I see in your resurrection, would you come and resurrect me? Would you restore me? Would you heal me? Would you invite me into your family? Would you come and dwell in my heart? I hear your voice saying, will you follow? And I will follow. I will follow you. If you're here this morning and you're an area of your life is in need of restoration, a lot of that work happens in relationship. A lot of that work happens uh, in friendship with others. I, I urge you to talk to somebody, maybe someone that you've come with this morning or or a Christian friend that you might have and, uh, and, and begin that process relationally, uh, confessing what you've gone through and just uh, asking for help and asking for prayer and asking for support. And, uh, and this congregation and others will, will rise up to support you and uh, good things will happen.